I am going to warn you all right now that I had a very, very good night's sleep. Gary Bennett, you may want to get your. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I, they're, they're finding me. They're looking for me. I've already found me. I've got my light on. You know, it's embarrassing when we go, hey guys, I can't hear anything. But I, I'm a loud mouth, so I can speak anyway. Thank you for the bubbly water, uh, early Marv, that you supply your pastor so he can really let loose today. Guys, I am so excited about this lesson today. I, I don't even know how to start. I'm excited because there has been no day like this day that we're going to study before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man and the Lord fought for Israel. In the end, I will tell y'all that the only day we've seen similar to this day was the Six-Day War in 1967 in Jerusalem. And the big, big picture today, Devin, Devin likes to hear the big idea, is that no matter what you mess up, no matter how you fail, no matter how you sin, no matter what you do wrong, when you come to God with a repentant heart, great things happen. And there are showers of blessing that come into your life. That's why we sang the experience. The showers of blessing, you know what they were, Scott? They were hailstones that killed their enemies. But they were showers of blessings to the people of God. So the world is on a different wavelength than we are, and that's a good thing. Joshua 10, 14. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to summarize a little bit before we move into our new text today, which will be Joshua chapter 10. What we're learning in our walk through Joshua is how to handle the battles in our life. I don't know about you guys, but I've got battles in my life. Amen. Battles go, at least somebody in here does. They said amen. Battles are weird. They, they happen. They wake up in the morning and a battle can be your trip trying to get to the coffee pot, you know, or you're so tired you can't get to the coffee pot anyway. That's a little battle. And then there's the battles that happen with coworkers. The battles that happen... Uh, with all kinds of things, with your car. You know, we tried to pick up Kat's car last night or yesterday, and it wouldn't start, and then I couldn't get it up on it with Mike Thomas, and we struggled, and he said, this is just the old devil trying to get us, if y'all know Mike. Involved in battles, not only battles like I'm talking with batteries, but battles with sin, battles with self, and battles with the world. And we're learning about being not wilderness Christians who look at the promises of God from afar, but how to be promised land, Canaan land Christians who walk in grace, who walk through the power of the Holy Spirit, who have redeemed lives, who have lives that are worth living and are joyful lives. He, you are the, probably the most joyful person I've ever met. Amen. He really is. I, there's a lot of people amen in that. And it's because Scott's joy is founded in his assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. And that's what I love about Scott. We've been prayer partners now all these years. We're learning to lean on him. I'm learning to lean on God, y'all, like I never had before in my life. Through this study of Joshua. I mean, isn't that peculiar? You'd think, well, surely the pastor leans on the Lord like he should. Well, you know what? No, I don't. Because this pastor is just a person like you. With the same problems and troubles. But I'm learning to not be so self-sufficient. Self-sufficient and even recently, I don't want to miscommunicate saying we shouldn't see ourselves as grasshoppers. Maybe we need to see ourselves as grasshoppers that are able to be giants through the power of Jesus. Amen. Not, you know, too much self-sufficiency makes me kind of arrogant, Doreen. I get to thinking somehow that I've got this one. 
Remember what we learned back there? They said, we've got this one. We're going to go into Iowa 3,000 instead of 30,000 because they're weak. They didn't consult on the Lord, and they got their bottoms popped, you know, bad. They ended up dying, and they got out of God's will, and they had deaths, and it was a problem. But God redeemed it when they did go into I, then having fallen on their face before the Lord. I'm learning to pray, y'all, like I've never prayed before. I've prayed for stuff. I don't mean stuff like things, but prayed for this or prayed for that. But I'm really learning to pray surrendered prayers, where I come to the throne already surrendered to his will instead of trying to convince God to do what I want him to do. <laughs> it's... Is this, is this real or not? It, I think it's for me, too. I'm preaching to me, sister. I'm learning to pray like I've never prayed before, and I've learned the importance of Gilgal. Before this study, I never even knew Gilgal existed. I'm going to be honest. Maybe Dr. House did and Irina because they're writing a commentary. Gilgal is what we always go home to. Gilgal is the camp, Michael Havens. They all, you notice they got over the Jordan, Pastor Larry, and they went into Gilgal. And I never noticed that. And they keep going back to Gilgal. It's kind of funny. Gilgal is where they recommitted themselves. Gilgal is where they repented of their sins. Gilgal is where they forgave themselves for the stupid stuff they had done. Gilgal is where they got charged back up. Gilgal for us is the cross. So when we go into these battles of our lives... Go, Judy, back to the cross and say, Lord, you died for me. I'm worth something. I'm worthy because you died for me. And I'm worthy, Lord, because you love me and you have a plan and a purpose and a place for my life. That's Gilgal. I'm learning, Diane, about Gilgal. I never knew about Gilgal. I love this study of Joshua. That's where they went back and, remember, they inscribed Torah. What, is, what does the Torah mean? It's God's instruction. And they put it all on that plaster that they put. Remember, we looked at Mount Gerasim. And what was the other? Mount Ebal. Remember when we studied and how the blood sacrifice took place on Ebal to stamp out the curse? We talked about how the Lord has washed, not just covered our sins, but he's washed them away, Judy. He doesn't even remember them. You're the only one remember them. You and the enemy who likes to come and remind us of the mess ups that we've made. Y'all know what Satan means in Hebrew? Do y'all know? It means the accuser. Isn't that interesting? It's not the devil. It's the accuser. He's the accuser. So after each battle, I'm learning to go back to remembrance, recommitment, restoration, redirection, going back to those Karen stones, Karen, where I go back and I remember the great things that God did, the great things he did in this church and that he's doing. We go back to Gilgal because that's home. That's our home base where we go back and we sit at the foot of Jesus and we say, God, I'm seeking your face. I want to know how to approach this next battle in my life. When's that battle going to come? Tomorrow morning or later today. Amen. It just does. That's part of the human condition. There at the cross, I remember that he died for my sins. He died and I died with him. You quoted Galatians 2.20 the other day from the pulpit. I've been thinking about it ever since you quoted it. Can you remember it to quote it? No longer I who live, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. And the hope that I now have, I have in faith in the Son of Man who loved me enough and died for me. Praise the Lord. That's Galatians. That's going back to Gilgal, guys. And then when you're there, you realize that 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any person, I say person, any man, any woman, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You're a new being in Christ. You have been made alive. The spirit within you has come alive. It's able to communicate with the Lord and listen and to understand and have a gain an understanding and a feeling. You know, he's there. Holy Spirit's in you. That's why you're a new creation. The old creation didn't have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you still have to fight that old man. All right. But you are a new creation in Christ. You are already the inheritor. We learned in Ephesians of all those inheritances that are spiritual inheritances. We didn't inherit a physical land like the Jews, but each one of us in this room, when we came to Christ, were promised inheritances. And the down payment on that inheritance was what? The Holy Spirit. That's the down payment. And you were given that down payment the moment you believed, Lynn. You are in possession. Of, you, are, you are an owner of that thing, even if you're not in possession of that thing. So that's what I call our wilderness Christians. They have given, been given this inheritance. Someone talked about in Sunday school today about a lady that died and a million dollars had been put in her wall and she didn't know about it. She thought she was a poor old widow and she didn't understand and comprehend what she had inherited. All right. And that's how many Christians are. Those that I call wilderness Christians. We don't want to be wilderness Christians. We want to be Canaan land Christians. We want to be promised land Christians. We submit to the Holy Spirit in faith walking, falling down, confessing, getting up. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that this morning as we study your word, it will penetrate. It will jump off of the screen up here and into our hearts. Lord, change me that I'll never be the same and change this sweet, precious body that loves you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Joshua 10, verse 1. Now, it came about, we got a lot of scripture here this morning, when Adonai Zadok, king of Jerusalem, Adonai means Lord, Zadok means righteous. So this righteous Lord was this guy's name. King of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Now, if you weren't here on Wednesday, you probably don't know what this is talking about, so I'll tell you briefly. I know you were in Nashville on Wednesday. I saw you take a picture out of the airplane. So on Wednesday, we studied how this group called the Gibeonites dressed up in these old clothes and they had moldy bread and they had old broken wineskins and they wandered into the Israelite camp pretending that they had come from afar. And very cleverly, with, 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 they, they were very clever. They showed up and they said, oh, we heard about everything that your God did back in Egypt. They didn't mention I and Jericho. All right. And they said, we've come from very, very far away. And we heard about all that. And, and we just want to come and have peace with you. And in the scripture we saw on Wednesday, the big mess up was, it says clearly that Joshua had not, and the Israelites did not consult the Lord. They went out and they made this deal with these people that were their enemies. Okay. And I'm bringing this up because we all do that. We make deals that we shouldn't make. I'm just saying these little Deals in our hearts, right? We make these compromises. And that's what I want to say today is at the end of it all, given all that Joshua did wrong, that all the children of Israel did wrong, God redeemed it. 
Joshua had to come to a point of forgiving himself. And God took their mess up, and he did an amazing thing that we're going to study today, realizing and remembering this is right on the tail of them doing wrong and not consulting with the Lord. There's a big lesson there, Judy. The lesson says that God's bigger than my messes. I've got some big messes that I have created. I've got even bigger messes probably that I will create. Hopefully I won't. All right, and God is bigger than those messes, and as Doreen said on Wednesday, he takes our messes, messes and he turns them into messages. Doreen, that's hard to say. And I went on thinking about that last night, and I thought, and he turns them into magnificent masterpieces. Think of the biggest mess of all, David. King David, an adulterer, a murderer, a no-good rotten guy, did all this crummy stuff, and God said, I love David. David is a man after my own heart. Now, you don't have to go do all that to be a man after a, <laughs> or a woman after God's own heart. But what you have to have is a repentant heart, a heart that cries to the Lord and falls on your face. Get down by your bed. Say, Lord, I've made a mess of this thing. Straighten it out for me, God. And let me hear what you would have me do now. Amen. He does. he does. That's the promise. So anyway, they had heard about all that about what went on and how the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace with Israel and were within the land. That he feared, thank you, Doreen, for pointing this out to me. She says, hey, you got a green thing right there on your deal. That he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like the other royal cities. We got the feeling Wednesday when we studied it that Gibeon were kind of weaklings, and that's why they came and made this deal. They weren't. Scott, they were the strongest of the strong out there. They were... It says, a great city like one of the royal cities. These were the big guys, okay? Why did they come and make a deal with the Israelites? Because they, no, because they knew that they were no match for the God of Israel. The guys in Gibeon were smart enough to go, wow, we don't want that to happen to us. We saw what happened to those guys, and we don't want that, all right? And that's why we picked the song this week about, it better is one day in the Lord's courts than a thousand elsewhere. The Gibeonites weren't Jews, and yet because of this, they were relegated to being the servants in the temple, we know, for four or five hundred years. That's a long time, and I'm sure some of them came to know the God of Israel. They just thought, you know what? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, shoveling coal or chopping firewood or whatever they did. And I just think that is the kind of hard attitude we ought to have. It's better to be one moment, Aaron, in the presence of God and to have a marriage like you're supposed to before the Lord than a thousand days elsewhere or 10,000 elsewhere. And they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city. So what's happening is Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, and remember the Jews are not in control of Jerusalem till David comes along four or 500 years later. He's thinking, uh-oh, Gibeon's made a deal with Israel. And they got mad. You know how the Arabs still do that. One of them will make a deal with Israel, and the others declare war on Israel. That happened in 67. That's how I'm going to end this message talking about that. It's kind of astonishing, really, that how it just repeats itself. And so they thought, well, we're going to go and get all of the enemies and gang up and make this confederation where we can go and end this all, and we're going to get rid of Gibeon, and we're going to get rid of Israel. And God used Joshua's horrible mistake that he had made in making a deal with Gibeon to gather all Israel's enemies in one place where they could be destroyed. 
Those, and we're going to see how is that showers a blessing. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let's attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, gathered together and went up, they with all of their enemies, and they camped by Gibeon and fought against it. So they're saying, Gibeon, so now Gibeon is in the, has compromised Israel, where Israel's in a truce with them. Y'all know what happens in a truce. Israel's going to have to go defend a people that were their enemies, okay? That's how these things happen when we make deals with the enemy, right? We end up in all kinds of weird situations. So the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua. They thought, uh-oh, go get Joshua. We're in trouble. And they sent word to Joshua where? At the camp at where? He's back in Gilgal. He's getting, he's getting recommitted to the Lord. He's falling on his face. He's listening to God's word, right? Saying, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all of the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. Now, Dr. House taught us on our Tuesday night theology class, correct me if I'm wrong, that Amorites is just Canaanites, correct? So that they're, they're part of all this group of Canaanites. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all of the valiant warriors. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will stand against you. Now, how do we know that Joshua had gone to consult the Lord? We don't read that in this text. Absolutely. We know from this that Joshua had, had learned his lesson. He had gone to the Lord. He had fallen before the Lord, said, Lord, I'm in a pickle. Lord, I've got to protect Gibeon now. I'm trying to keep my word. I've done some dumb things. And he and the Lord had a conversation, and God talked to him. And we know he had gone before the Lord because God's speaking to him here in this text. And he says to him again, do not fear them. I have handed them over to you. We have talked over and over and over about how fear and faith are opposites. We either walk our lives in fear or we walk our lives in faith. We really, really do. We either believe the promises of God and we are a promised land Christians or we don't believe the promises of God or don't know them and we are what? We're wilderness Christians. And, and you know, y'all know that I love God's word and I was talking to some folks recently about my childhood about how important it was that I learned and I'm urging you Orlando and Becky and y'all listening to learn key pieces of scripture if you don't know where they are Kelton will I've directed Kelton to things that I did back at First Baptist to learn those guard them in, the, in your heart because years when years go by you're not going to remember anything Kelton said you're going to remember the pieces of the Word of God that got incorporated into your soul. Can you older people amen that? Daryl, I know you can. You were there as a missionary in Guatemala, and all you could rely on is something you had learned that had been hidden in your heart early in your childhood where you learned God's Word. And, and so he, the men of Gibeon, uh, have I done that part yet? Oh, yeah. Do not fear them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will stand. 
I, I say this because that is why I don't fear things. My Amish friends who probably will listen to this, some of them, the born traggers used to tell me, you seem like you have no fear. It's because I walk in faith, y'all. There's things that present themselves that are formidable, that are frightening. But when we know God's word, we know that he says he will never leave us or forsake us. We know that no, nothing has come against us that's not common to all men. But God is faithful, and he will give us a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. Am I giving you all my words? No. I am repeating back to you what God's word promises and tells me. So God's grace is shown. Joshua and Israel made a big mistake. All right? They had this mistake with Gibeon. They could have gotten where they were discouraged, where they hated themselves. I'm telling you the kind of things we go through. We do something really dumb, and we think, how could I be so dumb? How could have I made that choice? How did that happen to me? And we begin to tear ourselves apart, and God is not able to work with us because we're so focused on ourselves and our own failures. And Joshua got past himself. He accepted God's forgiveness. God can't work with you if you don't accept your, his forgiveness for you. You won't get anywhere. You can wait 60 years, still be mad at somebody or something, you know. And, and I think it's so interesting that Jesus, when he was asked, what's the big stuff? What's the big idea? He says, you'll love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There's some self-loving that goes on in there, too. Not self-worship, but saying, Lord, you love me as I am. God, I have failed you. I've done this. I made this dumb decision. I made that dumb decision. But you are sovereign over my life, and you can take these things, and you can shower me with the blessings that are meant for me. It's easy to fall into this, this hate game. And the enemy, remember, he wants you out of the game. Many, many people have left the church because they think, well, I went and did this, or I did that. I did something so egregious and so bad, I don't belong in church. That's exactly why you need to be back here. We need to be here because we're broken, all right? We're a hospital for sinners, I tell you all that, not a hotel for saints. Now, there's saints in here, but this is basically a triage unit for a hospital for sinners. And don't you ever forget it. We've all got problems, and the Lord wants us to receive His forgiveness and to go and do and be active in the battle. And not give up. God will use their sin now and their mess to give them a day like no other day in Israel. That's pretty, those are pretty big words. We've seen some pretty big days. How about when the Red Sea parted? How about when they crossed the Jordan River and the waters piled up? And yet the Bible says that there would, they would not see another day like this in Israel. They will have two things that happen that make this day like no other. Showers of blessing that we're going to look at. And time will be stopped. You're going to say, well, how could time be stopped? And many, many, many people that want to dispute the Bible said, this is impossible. This couldn't happen. And they, they go to this text and try to poke fun at the Bible. And I'm going to show you today how it can happen. Okay? And how it did happen. The enemy wants to rub our noses in our mistakes. I'm not very good at this, but I need to rub my little dog's nose more often in their mistakes. But I, I don't ever find them when they're making the mistake, so I don't do it. But we, God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't rub our nose in our mistakes, all right? We do that. We go back and, and look at our mistakes and, and think about them and feast on them and 
identify ourselves with them, and that's not where God wants us to be. My Bible and your Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Orlando, you need to write that one down. Everybody on that back row needs to write that down because you are going to claim that about a zillion times in your lifetime. If you're living at all, if you're not in a coma in a hospital bed, all right? And then you might come to for a minute and then you have to claim it. But it's, it's a great promise of the Lord that, that wilderness Christians don't think about. So how could this happen to me? Because God had a bigger purpose, Betty. I, I saw her shaking her head and smiling. God wants us. The enemy wants us to dwell on our mistakes. God is bigger than all of our mistakes. Not just one mistake, but all of them. Let's read on. Verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal, and the Lord brought them into confusion. I underline these things as they jog my memory. So it was the Lord that brought this confusion in the camp of the enemy. And God will do that. God will confuse your enemies. I mean, I've sometimes prayed and seen con confusion. I, mean, I remember back in business where I would say, Lord, come into this movie or uh, come into this uh, moment, what I meant to say, where I'm in a court case right now that I can't get out of. And I'm going to pray, Lord, you fight this battle for me. Yes, I go prepared. But you, you, we have access to that supernatural side of things. The Lord brought them into confusion before Israel, and he struck them down in great defeat at Gibeon and pursued them by way of the ascent to Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled from the Lord, this is the first miracle, y'all, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord hurled large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. You think, there are no stones coming from heaven. Was that a meteorite? What was it? And they died. There were more who died from hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. God fought a battle that day. He can make nature do whatever he wants to do. Remember Jesus calmed the sea? You know, God, God made it all. He can do whatever he wants to with it. And he brought hailstones and pelted them. And you might think, well, how could a hailstone ever kill you? Well, about 40 years ago. <laughs> favorite ask, has anybody ever been to Oklahoma? All right. About 40 years ago, I was in Lake Somerville with a group of friends from uh, maybe 42 years ago. I was about, we were at A&M. We went out to Lake Somerville about this time of the year, right when school was starting. Really? Oh, how funny. Look, Scott, hold your hand up. Y'all were there that day. That was like back in the 70s. And I was out there with the youth group, and we were out there swimming in Lake Somerville, and I saw something that looked like steam on the other side. So funny, Karen, y'all lived this. And I looked and I thought, we all go, what is that? And, the, and this cloud started coming at us, and pretty soon it was this gigantic hailstorm coming across the water, and it beat us up so badly, Karen, we had to go under the water and come up and breathe and go back down. Wow. And Scott was there. Well, y'all, I guess y'all were out there in a tent? I bet your tent was obliterated. I had the whole pillow against the side to keep it from collapsing. <laughs> Guys, I saw that, and they saw that, so you've got testimony today. And that, and that didn't even make the news. All right, well, this one made the news. It made God's word. It was the miracle number one of the day. And I looked up today 
There was Vivian Hailstone. This is 2010, Vivian, South Dakota. They, the hailstones weighed two pounds each, and they were eight inches long. And you get about 10 million of those hailstones coming at you, and you know what? You're going to die. Or your roof's going to get torn out, or something bad is going to... That's like meteorites flying on you. And God sent it that day and destroyed Israel's enemies again without them raising a hand. Our God is an amazing God. When I thought about showers of blessing, I just found this little kid out there in the shower. So what was hailstones to God's enemies was rain to the people of God. The Lord wants to reign into our lives, doesn't he? He wants to reign. Michael loves this kind of thing. He wants to R-E-I-G-A-N. But he also wants to pour showers of blessing, rain, R-A-I-N, into our lives. I just think that's so cool. The second thing that happened, we read now. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord on that day. Remember, it's the day when there's been no other day like it, Scott. When the Lord turned the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, I don't know why Josh, Joshua did this, but he came out and he said, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, moon at the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. The Hebrew here says it slowed down. It's like time slowed down. That's pretty cool. It, it gives me chills to talk about it. Hey, guys. This is the God who is. He can slow anything down he wants in a time warp. We've all seen these movies where suddenly everybody's frozen and these people are running around doing everything. Maybe it was a deal like that. But I got to thinking about it. I'm going to talk to you all about why I know that God did it. Other than that it's in his word. And then it says, is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hurry to go down. So it just kind of... It killed everybody, and then eh, it went the rest of the way. It says, did not hurry to go down for about a whole day, and there was no day like that before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And he fought for Israel, y'all, after Israel and Joshua had messed up. You don't have to earn God's favor, Doreen, by doing right. It's called grace. Isn't grace great? Grace, grace, wonderful grace. I mean, these songs we sing. And then Joshua and all of Israel with him returned to the camp. Where? Gilgal. They're back in Gilgal. Guys, it is time for us to go to Gilgal. Yes. Amen. If you want to go, well, the bus will be leaving after the service, and we're going to Gilgal. Gilgal's right by your bed. It's maybe out in your barn. Gilgal's out there on the pasture, leaning on your fence. Gilgal's in a little cottage, uh, David, that you built years ago and wondered, what am I going to do with this cottage? And there you live. That's Gilgal. You're back in Gilgal. Now, I thought about all this, and I went back. I'm going to ask anyone in here that remembers their Hebrew to read that for me. This is miracle number two of the day. It tells us, so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. How could God do this? God could do this because God is God. And he said the very first thing out of his mouth that he inspired into man's brain is Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim faet ha'aretz. In the beginning, God made out of nothing the heavens and the earth. And the God that made out of nothing 
heavens and earth. He can speed it up. He can slow it down. He can do anything he wants to with his creation. That's how this fits in. I just think it's an amazing thing because there has been no day like it when God listened to man and decided he was going to stop time or whatever he did. But whatever he did, they wrote it down, and I believe it. And I believe it because Bereshit para Elohim HaShemayim et Ha'aretz. That's why I believe it. All right? And that's why we can all believe it. And so what happens? Then the five kings had fled and they hid themselves in a cave in Makedah. And it was told to Joshua, hey, they went down there and they're hidden in that cave. Joshua says, go and cover them up with a slab of stone. And they covered it up with a slab of stone. God put fear into their hearts and they ran like rats down into this hole and they just covered them up. God even captured their enemies, Scott. I mean, this is amazing, y'all. He says, 19, but do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from behind. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has handed them over to you. And it came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them down in a very great defeat until they were destroyed, and the survivors of them who escaped had entered the fortified cities, that all of the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Machedah in peace. And no one uttered a word against any of the sons of Israel. Nobody said anything about these people. All right, they think, I don't even want to talk about these people. I don't even want to talk about them or their God or anything. I'm going to be quiet. And they're now living here. And they have now taken possession of what God gave them. So what are the big ideas today? God takes our messes and he makes, as Doreen says, messages. And beyond that, God takes our messes and he makes masterpieces. That's the part that I like. I may not get the message, all right, but he makes masterpieces. So there's no wrongdoing that you've done, no sin that you've been involved in that can thwart what God can do in your life. I'm not saying it might not bring you heartache and trouble, all right, but it doesn't mean that God is through with you yet. You don't have to be good enough to earn God's grace. I've told you all about a man after God's own heart. Then you don't have to do it on your own because you can't do it on your own. I have that rabbi friend that I go have lunch with, and he has a funny saying. He says, sometimes it's good to realize that you're not God. <laughs> and I, I think about that guy telling me that. I'll, I'll say, Rabbi, I appreciate it because I come, and I know I don't have to preach. I don't have to do a home run every time. He says, it's wonderful when you realize you're not God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all, it's wonderful, y'all, when you realize you're not God. Amen. Just leave it to God, right? God took Joshua's mess, and out of it, he orchestrated the greatest victory in Israel up to the miraculous Six-Day War. I thought of that this morning, actually. And I thought, I'm going to go back and read what happened in the Six-Day War. It was interesting. And I've given you a website there that you can actually take a picture of that with your... That is a Jewish website. I just want to tell y'all in 67 there were four great enemies that came against israel all right but uh, my mic stopped working for some reason it's just oh there you go i'm sorry so there were four enemies at that time that came against israel all right and uh, i don't want to belabor this much but here's the statistics 275,000 israeli troops fought against 456,000 soldiers 
of Iraqi, Syrian, Jordanian, and Egyptian armies. And the fifth one was the, all the other United Arabs that were against them, all right? And they came against them with double the amount of tanks. They had four times the amount of combat aircrafts, all right? And the three-week period preceding the Six-Day War was one of dread, shock, and fright for all of the residents in the Holy Land. They actually started tagging parks where they figured they would bury everybody that was there. They so believed they were going to be destroyed that they went and labeled the, the, the national parks, the county parks, everything, because there wasn't enough room in the cemeteries, okay? They were so pessimistic that it says in their outlook that they, the nation's cemeteries and national parks were marked to become grave sites for all that would surely perish in the course of war. You know what? God hadn't showed up yet. However, despite all of the pronostications, by the time the war ended, the territory under Israeli control had tripled in size. Jews returned to sites where their ancestors had lived for 4,000 years, sites from which waves of terror were launched against them for many years. And I got to thinking about it. I bet that is when they recovered the site of Gilgal. Wouldn't that be interesting to look up and see that that's when God gave them back Gilgal? I mean, that's something, isn't it? And the Jewish nation was miraculously victorious in the face of unbelievable odds. History speaks of the Hundred Years' War, the Thirty Years' War, and many other long-fought battles. But here, in a matter of six short days, and how long did it take God to create the earth? How many? Six days, all right? A nation managed to utterly rout not one, but four powerful enemies. Jews across the globe thanked God for the great miracle that had happened. An incredible sense of pride and spiritual awakening gripped the Jewish people worldwide. The following is a brief account of the major events of the war with emphasis placed on the mirac miraculous occurrences that were characterized in each of the battles. So miracles went on, and this guy, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, uh, he says, in calming and reassuring a frightened and trepidation filled people, he, he both before and during the war and foretelling of its miraculous outcome. So only one guy got up and said, guys, this isn't going to happen. God is not going to let this happen. It was this Rabbi Schneerson or whatever. And you can go to this thing and read the article by him. He said, it's not going to happen. God didn't bring us this far to let us be destroyed. And God didn't bring you this far for you to be destroyed. He's not done with you yet. Let's, let's pray. Scott, come up and pray, would you please, and lead us in our last song.